Hey everyone, my name is George Davis, and I too want to welcome you to this online service of the Hershey Free Church. Thanks for joining us today. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to say thanks again to Becky for sharing her story, and also congratulations again to the Hunter family. Now, uh, as we come to Isaiah 1, let's just talk about the last year for a moment. You know, over the last year, there have been a variety of divisive issues that have been part of our cultural conversation, everything from how to deal with COVID to racial issues to political issues. And my guess is over the last year, you've been in some conversations uh, about these kinds of things. And let me ask you, did, did this ever happen to you? Did you ever find yourself in a conversation with someone about some of these issues? Maybe the conversation got heated, and, and, and it got frustrating for you because they weren't hearing you. The truth was they were missing the point. Have you been in a conversation like that recently? Do you know what that's like? <laughs> or, or maybe you're a parent. Maybe you've had this. If you're a parent, maybe you've had this experience. You told, talk to your child about the importance of they, they need to clean their room, and there's stuff all over the floor, and, and you go into their room a little later, and the, the floor is clean, but you realize the entire pile has simply been moved into the closet, and you look at them, and you go, you didn't understand what I was saying. You were, you were missing the point. Do you know what those experiences are like, experiences where someone truly misses the point? Interestingly, as it turns out, uh, Missing the point doesn't just happen in our relationships with each other. It also happens in our relationship with God. And to show you what I mean, let's now come to Isaiah chapter 1. Now, if you're new or newer to our church, it's it's great to have you with us. And kind of let me explain what we're doing. We're in a series entitled Love This Book, and we're journeying through the Old Testament. And Recently, we've seen kind of the history of Israel where they enter the land and ultimately they enter the season where they have kings. And then over time, ultimately, the nation of Israel divides in two and you end up with the northern kingdom or Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Now, as you read this historical storyline in the Bible, you also not simply read the descriptions of various kings in each of these kingdoms, You read about other characters that become prominent in this season of Israel's history. And these are the individuals that we refer to as the prophets. Now, among among other things that the prophets did, the, the prophets were really God's representatives. They were people who reminded the nation and the king of of their relationship with God and what that relationship should look like. Now, one of those prophets is the significant prophet known as Isaiah. He was a prophet to the southern kingdom. He lived in the 8th century B.C. And as you read the book, it's clear his, uh, his ministry spanned the reigns of multiple kings. And as, as the book opens, it becomes very clear that he is going to hold nothing back in bringing God's word of judgment and warning against the people and the nation. And in fact, in many ways, the opening chapter, chapter 1, anticipates themes that are going to be developed in different ways throughout the book. Now, here's the way Isaiah opens. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but notice this, but they have rebelled against me. 
the book opens with the reality that these people have rebelled in their relationship with God. Now, I've mentioned this before, but as you read the history of, of, of Israel, the history of Judah, it's important to realize that the book of Deuteronomy is always, in some sense, running in the background, right? The book of Deuteronomy is the, the book that describes God's covenant relationship with his nation, and it, it describes what this relationship with, would, would look like. And this passage is actually an excellent example of how Deuteronomy is in the background because this passage echoes the language of Deuteronomy chapter 30. So Isaiah appears on the scene and he begins by warning the people that they have rebelled in their relationship with God. And then this this opening salvo is really followed by a series of images that depict the nation's current state. And and, and really these images in some ways are are painful. They're, They're disturbing images. I mean, Isaiah says, you know, even farm animals know how to, how to respond to their owners, but you don't know how to respond to God. And then he says, he says the nation is like someone who's been attacked, someone who's been beaten up and has wounds from head to toe, but really doesn't know how to ask for help. And then he says, he says your, your, your nation is like this farmer whose fields have been destroyed, decimated by others. And, and all the farmers left with is this little shack right in the middle of the property. Now, interestingly, this, this imagery actually anticipates the fact that during Isaiah's lifetime, uh, this region is going to come under attack, come under pressure from the nation of Assyria. You'll actually see reference to that later in the book. Uh, this is an artifact known as Taylor's Prism. It's a, a clay uh, inscription from the nation of Assyria, and it actually makes reference to 46 communities in this region that came under attack during Isaiah's lifetime. So Isaiah is coming with this message of warning, this message of judgment. He's coming to tell the king, to tell the people, whether you realize it or not, we're in bad shape. We're in desperate shape because you, you've rebelled against God. Now, suppose you had a friend, um, maybe someone who's a follower of Christ, but recently their life has just started to unravel. Recently their life is just moving in the wrong direction. What would you say to them? I mean, maybe in some sense their life now is starting to look like the images that Isaiah portrays. Their life more and more is looking like this desolate field. What would, what would you say to them? Well, maybe you would say, you know what? You, you need to get back in church. You need to get into Scripture. You need to pray. You, you need to right, engage God. Maybe that, that's, that's what you would say to them, and that would be perfectly understandable. Likewise, if you and I lived in... Isaiah's situation, maybe we would say to these people, you know what, you you need to go back to Deuteronomy and remember how Deuteronomy describes your relationship with God. You need to go back to the key elements that are part of that relationship. I mean, that's, you know, God intends for you to be in relationship. That's why he gave you the sacrificial system. That's why you have these annual festivals. That's why you are to pray. And you need to get back to doing that stuff. But... But what if those elements that seem to be so important, 
what if those elements were actually part of the problem? Now, given the gloomy description that Isaiah uses at the beginning of this chapter to describe their condition, uh, you might think that they've simply walked away from all of those religious activities. They've just become disengaged. But as it turns out, all of that stuff is still going on. All of the religious activity is is as vibrant as ever. The temple is filled with activity. The festivals draw huge crowds. and, And yet something is wrong. As it turns out, um, the underlying problem is the problem of religious hypocrisy. We see this in a couple of verses that describe their religious activity. As we continue in chapter 1, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Read a little farther, and, and we read this. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. All this religious activity is going on, but God says this, it's worthless. And, and as I said, the, the problem is religious hypocrisy. Again, listen to to the language that he uses. There's no pleasure in your sacrifice. I can't bear your worthless assemblies. I'm tired of it. Now, in understanding this concept of religious hypocrisy, I need to unpack that for a moment because uh, it's different than you might think. I think typically when we think about hypocrisy, isn't this how we think about hypocrisy? We think about hypocrisy this way. To be a hypocrite is to say one thing and do another. So, for instance, let's suppose you and I had this conversation about healthy eating, and maybe I talked about the importance you know, of eating well, of getting away from, from sugar as much as possible. And then you get into my car, and, then, and you see all these Snickers wrappers. Of course, this is strictly hypothetical. But if that were the case, you would probably think, you know, he's a bit of a hypocrite when it comes to eating, because he's, he said one thing, but he's actually doing another And so there's an inconsistency between what I say and what I do. But what's going on here is different. Because in some sense, at some level, they are doing what they're supposed to do, right? They're going to the festivals. They're offering sacrifices. They're engaged in religious activity that's commanded. Here, the inconsistency is not between saying one thing and doing another, Here, the inconsistency is the inconsistency between what they do externally and what's going on on the inside. So the the problem of religious hypocrisy is, is really a problem of the heart. They're going through all the emotions and all the activity of, of worshiping God. Yet, all the while, God says, you know, in truth, at the core of who you are, you've turned your back on me. You're going through all the activity, but at the core of who you are, your, your heart is against me. And God says, you know what? I'm tired of this. This detests me. Now, to, to understand God's response and the language Isaiah uses, maybe it's helpful to do, do a thought experiment with me. Imagine, just imagine, you know, 
imagine, you know, it's great, the weather's getting warmer, and I think we're tired of being isolated, and what that has looked like over the last year. So imagine in the near future, you decide, you know, you want to have some people over. You're going to throw a party, and so you plan this, you invite friends, you invite family, maybe you do it at a park, maybe just to make people comfortable, you hold it in your backyard. Somehow you get people together. Maybe you do a cookout, you, you know, we're, we're just, and it's, it's a great time. And imagine that one of the people comes, and, and he or she comes, and <laughs> they bring a box of chocolate. I mean, these, these are great, right? Hershey's Golden Almond Bars, these are amazing. So they show up with this box of Hershey's chocolate just as a gift of friendship. And, and for you, that is just a great gesture. Man, I just so appreciate it. You put it on your, ca- your counter in your kitchen, and there's that great box of chocolate you're going to get into later. But imagine maybe a day later, through another party, you discover that this person who brought you this wonderful box of chocolates has actually betrayed you and betrayed your friendship or betrayed your relationship behind your back. How, how would that make you feel? <laughs> and how would you now look at that box of chocolates on your counter? I think you look at it differently. I mean, it, it, would, it would just now appear to be an empty, frustrating gesture to you. It would seem hollow, and in some sense, that, that's what God is describing as he looks at all of this religious activity. It, it detests me. I am tired of it, he says because of the inconsistency, because they are going through all the motions, but their hearts are far from me. Now, when you look back at the Old Testament law, the goal of that instruction wasn't simply for the people to participate in religious activities. The goal was was that they were to grow in their relationship with God, right? They were to love God and respond to him in worship and obedience. Furthermore, flowing out of their love for him were to be healthy relationships with others. They were to love others. They were to be for other people, right? Jesus would ultimately say that the main themes of the law were these. Love God, love others. Love God, love your neighbor. So God's vision rooted in the Old Testament law was this, that these activities were to be part of this pattern of life, where they were loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. But when it comes to this religious hypocrisy that's now at work among God's people, they were were actually involved in a different pattern. They weren't involved in this pattern. They they were involved in the the reverse of this pattern. And, And what you get when you go from this pattern to this pattern is you get other themes. Instead of loving God and loving others, the patterns you get are the patterns of idolatry and injustice. So this this religious hypocrisy is actually associated with a, a negative pattern of behavior, the pattern of idolatry and injustice. And as it turns out, first of all, they were obviously continuing to, to celebrate the festivals, to worship in the temple, But as you read the entire book of Isaiah, it becomes clear they weren't simply doing that. They were also involved in idolatry, the worship of other gods. Furthermore, in in this negative cycle of religious hypocrisy that included idolatry, 
that idolatry worked it out in broken relationships. It, it worked out in injustice. So we get to verses 16 and 17, and, and the prophet says this, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my st- sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So it becomes clear in this negative pattern of behavior that went along with religious hypocrisy, there was, there was idolatry and injustice. Those in power were taking advantage of those who did not. And the people on the margins, the people who were vulnerable, were not being protected. They were not experiencing justice. So as Isaiah opens his book, the temple is busy. The festivals are packed. The sacrifices are taking place. Yet in all of that, he's saying this. <laughs> all these people in this process, they're missing the point. It's just routine. It's just empty ritual. Their hearts aren't in it. They're missing the point. You know, centuries later, Jesus would warn against the very same type of behavior in the Sermon on the Mount. He would warn against religious hypocrisy. And as it turns out, while our situation is very different than the people from Isaiah's time, we can do the very same thing that they were doing. We, we can be highly involved in all sorts of religious activities. You know, I can be involved in church. I'm involved in an LLL group. And maybe I'm part of a connect group. I'm involved in reading the Bible yes, uh, regularly. But, but if we're not really open to how God wants to work in our lives through all of those experiences. We may participate, but, but at the core of who we are, we've, we've turned our back on God. And the truth is we, we may just become comfortable in this negative pattern of behavior that Isaiah is critiquing. This week I, w- I was talking with... Uh, several others about this topic of, of religious hypocrisy and what it likes to be in this negative pattern of living. And I said, you know, what are some, what are some warning signs that I've fallen into this approach to life? And, and one of the comments was this. One of the warning signs of religious hypocrisy is simply the reality that we become comfortable with inconsistency. We become comfortable with inconsistency. You know, I, I get comfortable, for instance, in, in coming to church or watching online I get comfortable in, in knowing how to act and knowing what to say, but my heart's really not in it, or my mind is somewhere else. I get comfortable singing the songs, but I'm not really paying attention to what I'm saying. I get comfortable listening to sermons, teaching, reading scripture, but I'm, I'm not really open to how God is addressing me through his word. So this passage comes with a great warning about this this approach to life. This passage says, look, if you get caught in this pattern of of idolatry and injustice that really goes along with religious hypocrisy, it's it's missing the point. But fortunately, even with this hard-hitting warning, this passage isn't simply a blistering critique because this passage also comes with an invitation. Because we come to verse 18, and here's what we read. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they be red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And I think what Isaiah is saying is this. Don't, don't you see you're stuck in this negative pattern of behavior? You're stuck in this negative pattern of living that ultimately leads to judgment and death. This, this negative pattern is not life-giving. That's why he uses such negative imagery at the beginning of the passage. It's not flourishing. But he's also saying, but, but God is calling you to something else. God, God is calling you to a different way of life. He's calling you into a relationship where it's possible to know him and to experience his renewal and his forgiveness, his grace. And, and ultimately, what this passage is doing is it's anticipating the work of Christ. It's anticipating the reality that through his death, burial, and resurrection, it is now possible for us to be justified, to be restored in our relationship with God, to be forgiven. And I think in some sense, this passage is anticipating the ongoing work of Christ's spirit that we call sanctification, where he transforms us so that more and more our lives reflect our new identity as followers of Christ. The Bible says this is a a relationship that begins through repentance and faith. And if, if this is new to you, I'd love to have a conversation about how we begin this journey of following Christ. Because ultimately, that's what Isaiah is anticipating. Now, as you read this invitation, notice how it begins. <laughs> Come, let us settle the matter. It's an interesting choice of words here. Um, I think one of my favorite translations of this phraseology is this, come, let's argue it out. It's, it's actually language that uh, has legal overtones. It's the language of a prosecutor coming to make his or her case. Yet here, the, this person comes not simply to convict of wrongdoing. Right? God doesn't simply come to convict the people of what they are doing wrong. He doesn't simply come to show them that this negative pattern leads to judgment and death, which becomes clear in this passage. But he, he also comes to convince them that, you know what? There's another way to live. It's possible to live in relationship with me. It's possible to live in relationship with me that changes the way you engage other people. Right, To love God and love others. And, and to live in this manner is to live a way of life that ultimately leads to flourishing. That's the invitation of Isaiah 1. So God says, let's, let's argue this out. Let's work through this together. And in a real sense, I think, I think what this passage does, it, it anticipates the ongoing work of God's Spirit because that's what His Spirit does in our lives God's Spirit works in us to to kind of wrestle with us, to challenge us, to convict us that these negative patterns of behavior, are they're not life-giving. And he works to show us the broken places in our lives where that negative pattern can be at work. And to be honest with you, when we see that, when we experience his work, it can be painful, it can be hard, we can want to run from it. But the work of the Spirit never stops. The work of the Spirit never stops at just exposing this pattern because he always wants to bring us to a place of understanding there's a different way to live. 
that through God's grace and through his work of transformation, he is inviting us into a different way of life. Let me just kind of give you an example of of this at work. Last week, um, in a Zoom call, I was reminded of a situation that went back several years. It's a situation that I'd kind of left hanging. It's a situation that I needed to address with someone. But to be honest with you, I hadn't. I'd avoided it. I just kind of put it under the carpet. And, you know, if I don't bring it up, nobody has to bring it up. Uh, Because I was fearful, you know, if I bring this up, it could be an awkward conversation. But after being reminded of that situation on a Zoom call, it's like I found myself really wrestling with God, right? And I found kind of that convicting prosecutorial work of the Spirit at work in my life. Not simply to say, George, you're kind of gotten comfortable with inconsistency here, and and that's wrong, but but also to say, George, there's a better way. There's a better way to do this, and, and I will be with you. And ultimately, I you know, I made the phone call and it turned out to be a good conversation. And in doing so, that was just kind of one step in the spirit kind of bringing me back into this pattern of living. So ultimately, what Isaiah says is this. He says, look, you can live this way. You know what? You can get comfortable with religious hypocrisy you can get comfortable just kind of with going through the motions. Get comfortable, you know, I'm involved in church, but I, I, I know how to say it, I know how to sing, I know how to do the right things, at least externally, but the truth is my heart's not in it. And I get comfortable doing this, and, and the truth is even as I'm busy with activity, at a deeper level, my, my, my heart, the core of who I am, I, I've just really grown numb to God, and I'm, I'm not attuned, I'm not open to that challenging work of the Spirit. Isaiah said, you know what? You, you can get comfortable doing this. But you know what? This, this is a way of life. This, this way of life that often comes with idolatry and injustice. It often comes with the pursuit of other things and broken relationships with others. You can get comfortable doing this, but it, it's not life-giving. It's not the way of flourishing. But there's another way, right? There's another way to live. If you're open to God's ongoing work, if you're open to his ongoing work in the midst of that religious activity, he's going to seek to move you into this pattern of living, into this pattern of loving God and loving others. And at times he's going to convict you and challenge you and wrestle with you about some of the junk in your lives, but he's going to do so to show you that this way is broken and this is the way to live. It's a way made possible through Jesus Christ. It's a way made possible through his grace. So Isaiah is saying, look, whatever you do, don't get get comfortable over here. Because if you do, you're missing the point. If you do, you're missing the point. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we we read these hard-hitting words of of the prophet Isaiah, and in some ways they they are deeply challenging and convicting. And Father, I I pray we would hear the warning clearly. I pray that, that we could be aware that sometimes we can be busy with different kinds of 
religious activity, yet grow numb to what you're trying to do through those experiences. And as a result, we just get comfortable with the inconsistency. And Father, I pray even now that if there are places where we've just gotten comfortable, I pray that that your spirit would do his prosecutorial work that can, wrestling with us right now, challenging us right now. But I also pray as he exposes us that we would see that this is never the end of his work because he's trying to bring us into a different way of life and a new pattern made possible through your grace and your work through Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray let us not get comfortable if we're missing the point. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I want to thank you for joining us for this service, for being a part of the uh, ministry of Hershey Free Church. And as we start a new week, may, may you be open to God's ongoing work in your lives so you don't get stuck in activity where you're missing the point. Amen.